0: guys hungry I'm not talking about lunch right? yeah but that' that's a that's a really serious question are we hungry right are we hungry for what God has for us because see the Bible teaches that the hungry will be filled right and I'm not talking about Necessarily what I'm going to say to you because it's what the Lord is going to say to you. But He promises the hungry will be filled. You know, and this world needs a filled church. This world needs a bride that's filled, right? I don't know if any of you have been watching the news or paying attention. I've shared before, we. We kind of have uh, <laughs> we have Fox News on, like, in the background all the time at our house. But I don't know if you've been paying attention, but in Charlottesville yesterday, they had a riot. And it was these white supremacists that were going to have a rally there. And then you, you had two factions on, on both extreme sides come together and clash. Ultimately, three people died. Two police officers because of the helicopter crash, and then one person got run over on purpose. There was a crowd of people, I think 19 injured, a crowd of people where this car, this I'm assuming white supremacist person, just barreled down this narrow street and barreled right into this crowd. And I mean, it was all on video. And I looked at that, and I'm watching this explode on TV as it was happening. And, you know, you can get caught into what's going on and why and everything else. All that could come to my mind was, where's the church? Where's the church? Where's the bride? Where's those people who would show God's love? Not to show his plan, not to show, well, this is what, what's right, this is what's wrong. Because that's the Holy Spirit's job. But where was the church to love? See, the church was nowhere in the midst of that. But it wasn't even just that yesterday. It was, if you watch politics at all, or you watch the world at all, and not just America... But all over the world, you, you just see very few glimpses of the church, of the bride. And yet, we're the light of the world. It's no wonder that it's a really dark world. It's no wonder that Satan has reign over so much of this earth. because Not because God is not good. Not because God is not doing his part. It's because the church is not being the light that they're supposed to be. And that's not, like I said, that's not about learning the knowledge of the Word of God and being able to live by a set of principles. It's not it. If, if that's it, then, then your walk with God is shallow compared to what it could be. It's about the relationship. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ, building that relationship for one thing, love. For the sake of love, for not just the sake of love for you between you and him, but for the sake of love pouring out of you for this world. So I just see that all the time when I I see these things happen on TV and it just breaks my heart because it's not supposed to be that way. Now the beautiful thing we know, according to the word of God, Revelation three nine, that it won't be that way. That prior to the Lord's coming to take his his family home, there will be a time where the church, the bride, is prepared. The bride is ready. The bride is showing his love. So we're not ready. And I look around, churches don't even get along. <laughs> Churches, even to believe the same thing, don't get along. It it, it is a competitive business field, just like any other business. And that's my background. I, I I haven't been a pastor that long. Three years, less than three years. My background's business. I understand competition. I understand what it means to compete with other businesses. So why in the world does the bride? Compete with each other. I, I, and uh, that's, that's not my message this morning, but I, I just had to mention that from, from yesterday. It's just, again, where's the bride? Where's our voice? See, let me tell you what's happening. There is a voice raising up. Yes. God is going to give a voice to his bride, not that becomes big in the public eye. Okay, it's his bride that stays faithful to him in relationship that he can pour through his love because that's what the world really needs is the true, the trueness of his love. Not just some things to live by. And God is doing that. I know he's doing that here. I know he is. I've seen it now for three years. What he is doing in this church, what he's doing in individual lives, The world may not see that yet. And by the way, I believe he's doing this in pockets all over the world. That the world does not see yet, but they're going to. They're going to. Why? Because they don't know they're hungry. They don't know they're hungry for something that's missing in their heart. That they have this hole that they have nothing to fill it with. It's because that's that special place that can only be filled by relationship with Jesus Christ. See, the world is hungry for that. But before the world can be filled with the love of Jesus Christ, we have to be filled. Are you hungry? If you're hungry, you'll be filled. I, I want to read something from Lana, for those of you who don't know. Lana is a, is a prophet, Lana Vosser, out of out of uh, Australia. And... Bryn had introduced me to her I don't know, two years ago, something like that. And then the Lord had told us to start start listening to it. She's not well known or anything else, not, not that much anyways. But she put out something I, I want to say it was yesterday, I can't remember. Might have been the day before. But I want to read just a portion of this because it talks about this hunger and she, she had this vision of this waterfall this wall of water. I won't even say a waterfall. It was a wall of water. Okay? That was the Holy Spirit. And and the bride was being drawn to this wall of water. And Jesus was standing there with one hand in the water wall of water, the other hand bidding the bride to come to come into this wall of water, and I, I just, I just want to read this part of it, because it talks about this hunger. I watched as God's people were beginning to go deeper into the Word of God than they had ever been. Every page they read were like flames of fire that turned into scrolls that they ate and completely digested. As they read the word and feasted upon the word, I watched as the flag in their right hand began to sway more, and that was worship, sway more and more higher than it had ever been. That flag in their right hand was was their worship. They were seeing him in the word like never before, and a whole new level of worship was exploding from within them. As they feasted upon the word... A new level of worship was exploding, and with tears streaming down their faces, they were decreeing, our hearts are burning within us. Our hearts are burning within us. Are our hearts burning for him? Are we hungry for him? See, if you're hungry for him, you're going to seek him. And the Bible says, if you seek him, you will find him. Are you in the Word? Is Sunday morning here the only time you get the Word of God? If it is, that isn't hunger. Right? If 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 you only ate on Sunday mornings, you'd be hungry, right? You'd be starving. Are you in the Word of God outside of what we do here? See, he says, if you're hungry, I'll fill you, but you gotta open your mouth. You've got a desire to be filled. And he does that through fellowship. Let's pray before we get into Acts this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you, God. I thank you for the time of worship that we were able to spend before your throne, God, and just prepare hearts in connection with you. God, I pray that hearts became connected because we're hungry. And you promised that when we're hungry and we seek you, we will be fed. So we seek you this morning, God. I ask that you fill my mouth with your words, only none of my own. In fact, Lord, like many times, I it may be my mouth that you're using, but God, I just want to sit back and listen to what you have to say. I thank you for that. Speak to us this morning, Lord. I bind the enemy in this place, even the enemy with authority. You are to remain inside of your authority and remain dormant because the Lord is going to speak. Father, we worship you. We praise you. We ask that you. Fill us with your love in such an overwhelming way that we can't stand it. It's just so much joy. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we uh, we got into chapter two, okay, which give you give you a little bit, bit of background over the last couple of weeks. Remember I, I really Encouraged everybody to read Luke. Right? Okay? Luke is the writer of Luke, obviously. And then he is also the writer of Acts. And th- this is from a Gentile perspective. It, it was the only one of the Gospels, for that matter, the only New Testament writer that was a Gentile. Well, like, actually, the whole the only writer, period, if you want to look at it that way, that was a Gentile. And, and he gives a very unique perspective of even the life of Christ through, through the, the birth of Christ and his ministry, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and then he goes into the book of Acts, which begins the church age. It begins the bride of Christ stepping forward. And, and we, we got into some of that, but, but remember the timeline of what's going on here, and remember the fact that we want to look at this through the eyes of the disciples. Okay, how in the world were they feeling through all of this? So, so they just, you know, think, even, even let's, let's pick Peter. I love Peter. Peter is just so awesome. And our Peter, too. Our Peter's good, too. <laughs> no, I love Peter because Peter is one of those guys, one of those people that wears his emotions on his sleeve. You don't have to guess where Peter's coming from, right? We know people like that. I love people like that. There's no wondering what they're thinking. You know, Peter, I want to protect my Lord. I'll pull out a knife and cut the guy's ear off. I mean, I think it was seriously either he wasn't very good with a sword or it was Lord holding him back that all he cut off was his ear because it just angled the sword. It could have been his head. Now, that would have been a bigger miracle, though. That would have been pretty amazing right? Okay, but that that's Peter. Peter wears his emotions on his sleeve. Peter was the one that, that Jesus said as he was going, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knew what was about to happen to him, the trial and everything else, and he said, Peter said, we'll go everywhere with you. We'll die for you, Lord. And what did Jesus say? Peter, before morning, you're going to deny me three times. You know, I can imagine Peter's reaction to that, like, what are you talking about? I just said I would die for you. Yeah, but Jesus knew his heart. See, that's how it works with us in relationship with Jesus Christ. What we say isn't always what our heart portrays. It's supposed to be. They're supposed to be linked. But Peter's intention was not backed up by his substance. Right? That's huge. So remember, with his perspective, Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave. They spent, he he spent 40 days with them after he was risen from the grave, and then he ascended into heaven. So now we're 10 days after that. This is 50 days, less than two months since Jesus Christ was dead, buried, resurrected. Okay? So this is all pretty fresh in their minds. You can imagine the whirlwind going on in their minds. And all Jesus said was, Go here and wait. Go here and wait. Why? Because I'm about to send power to you. This thing that I'm calling you to do that I kind of showed you over the last three years, this ministry that I want you to do to share my love, I'm going to send you a partner to do it with. Now, from their perspective... Honestly, they didn't know, at least you can't tell from Scripture, that they knew what that really meant. I mean, they knew who the Holy Spirit was. I don't mean that. But they didn't know what it meant for the Holy Spirit to fall on them in power, to encapsulate them in power. They didn't understand that. I don't think we fully understand that either. We perhaps have had glimpses. So think through their perspective. They're waiting. They didn't even know how long to wait. Maybe, maybe they thought, you know, hey, it's coming up. We got Pentecost coming up, right? Feast of Weeks. Maybe he'll do it then. Jesus really liked dates. You know, he really liked to to keep things in order like that. So maybe, maybe he'll do something then. I don't know. The scripture doesn't really tell us. I do know, as we talked about last week, that they were expectant, because what were they doing up there? They were worshiping. They were praying. They were sitting there expectantly. And there were 120 of these. But, but again, think through Peter's mind what's going on. And then last week, we just barely got into it, just got into uh, the first part of chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came and fell. Right there was this sound, says like a mighty rushing wind. We don't know exactly what that was. That word "like" was a descriptive word trying to explain something that went on, which oftentimes doesn't do it justice. Right there was something, there was something that was like this rushing wind. This thing that captured everybody's attention. But what happened next were these tongues of fire. I love that last last song. These. Tongues that looked like fire, rests that were above each person, 120 each person, and rested upon them. See, the, the, the word there, upon his epi, in the, in the Greek, that is where it, it engulfed them. Right? It didn't just sprinkle the Holy Spirit. It engulfed them. And we read last week what that looked like. What did that look like? Let, let's, let's go through it here again. And they were at verse 4 of chapter 2. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it was so much commotion, so much noise, that people outside of that upper room heard. In fact, I, I don't know about you, but see, over 3,000 heard it and came. That has to be pretty noisy. How noisy do you think we'd have to be in this house here right now? Remember, they were inside. And we have a sound system. <laughs> How noisy do you think those, uh, that, that scene must have been to attract all those people? Remember, think about what's going on. Think about it through Peter's standpoint. What's going on? All of a sudden, you feel this amazing presence that they had never felt before. This power that they had never felt before. I want to go down to verse 12, and that'll take us to where we're starting today, which is verse 14. Verse 12, And all were amazed and perplexed because all these tongues were being spoken and people were understanding it, and they knew they did not know their language. Okay? They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? This is, this is the people that came to see. Now, now by the way, we know that 3,000, will see this, 3,000 get saved that day. That doesn't mean that there were only 3,000, but we know there were at least 3,000. What does this mean? Verse 13, but others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. Okay, so set the scene in your mind. What's going on here? The Holy Spirit has fallen, and these people, as we said last week, they're saying some of them are saying, they're mocking and saying, These people are drunk. I don't know what's going on. These people are drunk. Now perhaps they were they were the ones not they weren't speaking their language. I I don't know. I can't I can't answer that question, but for some reason they said they're drunk. We don't understand what's going on. They're drunk. And that sets the stage for what Peter begins to do here. Peter stands up. And let's go to verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. I give ear and give ear to my words. These people aren't drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Now, I, I, I get a kick out of that. He, he didn't say, these people aren't drunk because it would be wrong to be drunk. Okay, which is true. Scriptures teach that. What was he doing here? He was trying to speak on a level that they would understand. Okay, of course they're not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. People don't get drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. What are you thinking? They're not drunk. Now, by the way, again, set the scene in your mind. There's more going on here than speaking tongues. There has to be. As I said it last week, if if you see somebody speaking French or Russian or, or whatever, Spanish, you don't automatically say, oh, they're drunk. They're not speaking English. They're drunk. No, you say that because of their mannerisms, because of their body, because of what they're doing. Now, I don't know about you, and 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 probably at least that I know of, very few, if only a couple in here have been have have had an experience with the Holy Spirit where it, 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 He engulfed your your body, and 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 literally the human reaction to that can be widespread, right? You can have shaking come out of that. You can have falling out come out of that. You can have, have, I mean, listen to Heidi Baker, her testimony, you can have flipped up on your head come out of that. You can have anything come out of that. So set the scene in your mind. What these people, they didn't say that they're drunk just because they wanted to be mean. They said because that was their perception of what was going on. It just looked something very foreign to them. So Peter stands up and he says, It's not that they're drunk. For these people are not drunk as you suppose since the third hour of the day. Verse 16. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he goes, and he and we're going to read this, but he talks about what Joel prophesied now i want I want to point something out here though, as we're getting into what he said, because we're going to get into a sermon now that Peter preaches that's extraordinary. if you go back and and really you can check all the gospels but if if you went back and looked through through Luke, you get this idea of peter i i I wouldn't say kind of a bumbling step before you think, you know, put your foot in your mouth kind of guy. Right? He 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 reacts before he thinks. You see that all throughout the gospels. Okay, but what you see here is something very different. And I want to I want to encourage you to recognize that what happened to Peter in this moment of the Holy Spirit falling on him was something more than tongues. There was a power that fell on him that we're going to see in his words. We're going to see in his command of these people. Of these people, by the way, that from his perspective hated him. These people just killed his Savior. Right? So he is not standing up. Just because, you know, nobody can touch him. You know, this is America. Nobody can hurt you here. Okay, these people just killed his Savior. And he stood up with the very power that he'd been filled with in the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. And this is what the prophet Joel prophesied. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my f- spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Now, by the way, I, I've known young men to dream dreams. I've known old men to see visions. So I, this is not inclusive or exclusive. All right, He's just giving examples of what will happen. Verse 18, even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show one, let me, let me stop there a second, because then he's getting into something a little bit different here in, in Joel's prophecy. He's saying God is no respecter of persons. Right? He, he didn't, you, you notice when Jesus came, who, who did he hang out with? He, he hung out with right? We, we know. He hung out with sinners, publicans, sinners, uh, prostitutes. He hung out with these people. He said, "I did not come to help those who were not sick," which I always thought was funny, because the Pharisees are really sick. They, they had a sickness spiritually that could not easily be seen, but it was the deepest of sickness. It was this fake spirituality, right? But what he's what he's saying here is that that uh, all of these he, he's saying that uh, what Joel was saying is God is not a respecter of persons. All of these gifts, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, will be on anyone whom He chooses that follows Him. Anyone that's hungry. It, it could be a servant back in their day. The, the reference here, even a servant, male servant, female servant, didn't matter. See, back then, things, things were different with guys and girls than they are now. So he said there, there was no respecter between those. He'll fall on male, he'll fall on female, he'll fall on the master, he'll fall on servants. And then he goes on with what Joel said. And I will show, verse 19, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He was quoting Joel there, but there's something really important to understand. Peter is declaring that what Joel said is what's happening right now, but yet Joel said in the last days. Don't be confused that the last days were what were, they were ending, beginning and ending right then. Right? Remember, a day to the Lord is like a thousand years. Okay, time. We get all messed up when we think of, in terms of time, and try to place that on the Lord's shoulders. Because Peter said, this is what's happening right now. But see, he shared, as he went later with Joel, he shared, it will continue until what day? Until the day of the Lord. Now, I'm not going to get into it too much, but understand the day of the Lord is the coming of the Son of Man. When he comes in victory. And there's a few different references to the day of the Lord because there are some references that talk about when he comes to get his bride and meets meets his bride in the clouds. But then mostly what what it's referring to is when he comes in power on the earth to establish his earthly kingdom. right? So these things that he said will happen will happen until until the day of the Lord. So he's explaining to them what's going on. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Imagine being Peter. Imagine what he was saying. He, he was standing up in front of the crowd that had just crucified his Lord less than two months before. He was standing up before that crowd and saying, You're murderers. I mean, what courage. But yet that's not the courage that we saw the night Jesus was taken from the Garden of Gethsemane. There was a distinct change in Peter that happened in the filling of the Holy Spirit. This distinct change. Now all of a sudden, he doesn't just have the courage to say, Jesus is my Lord. He has the courage to stand up and say, Jesus is my Lord, and you killed him. You took his life. This Jesus, whom you crucified. I mean, imagine what's happening at this time and what's changed in his life. Where was I? Oh, yeah, okay. I moved it up there. There we go, 24. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him, Jesus, to be held by it. Why? Because he was perfect. Because he didn't deserve it. Death could not hold him, even though he sacrificed his life. He sacrificed a perfect life, and he was not deserving of this death. So death could not hold him. So God raised him up, Loosing the pangs of death. By, by the way, it's, I'm, I'm not going to get into it, but, but it's a very interesting study to look into what did Jesus really do? We know he was, he was in the abyss for three days. What did he really do down there? And, and as you search that out, you're going you're gonna to find some amazing gems in Scripture. We know that was part of the first resurrection. That, that's, that's, your, that's your clue. Look up what the first resurrection was, because that was part of what he did when he went down there. Right? He defeated death. It wasn't possible to be held by. He wasn't possible for him to be held by it. Verse 25, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One, and this was prophetic speaking about Jesus Christ, your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Then Peter says in verse 29, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, he, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. He's beginning to establish the fact that that could not have been David that he was talking about. It had to be somebody else. Verse 30, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants upon his throne, being David. Verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Now Peter pulls the rest of them into it, the other 119. He said, of Jesus Christ raising from the dead, we are all eyewitnesses. You want to know the truth? You want to know what it was like? Talk to any one of us. Because we've been with him. We were with him for 40 days. And they got to be with him and talk with him and touch his scars. And eat with him. I thought that was awesome. (laughs) Jesus loved to eat. Right? You see see many times in those 40 days where, where he sat down and made a meal with them. And Peter's saying, we were with him. We've we've all witnessed this. We'll We'll all attest to this. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. See, what Peter is declaring here is extraordinary. They had gone through 4,000 years of a particular understanding where the Holy Spirit did not envelop just anybody. The Holy Spirit would fall on a prophet. Right? There were chosen people that the Holy Spirit would fall on, but not everybody. Everybody. What Peter is declaring here to these people, remember what they're there for. They're they're in Jerusalem for this count. They, they, They are all believing in a coming Messiah. And they're part of the group that denied Jesus was that coming Messiah. So what he's saying here is something significant happened. He promised us this poured out Holy Spirit. This person of the Trinity that, that would pour out on each one of us. And he said, that's what you're seeing right now. You're seeing the beginning of something amazing. As Joel had said, this partnership is available to anybody. Anybody who calls on his name has access Verse 34, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all those of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter was pretty clear this Savior that you've been waiting for your whole lives, this Messiah that you have believed is still coming, he came and you killed him. I mean, that's an extraordinary thing for him to say in front of all the people that killed him. You know, imagine what Peter was thinking at that time. See, I think he was so filled with the Holy Spirit, there was no thought to his own safety. And you see that throughout the word of God in the New Testament in Peter's life. His priorities changed. His fears changed. His worries changed. His whole being changed. Why? Because he was with Jesus? No. No. Because he was with Jesus and he was this other guy. But when power, the power of the Holy Spirit, sent by the Father because of Jesus, when that Holy Spirit came and fell on Peter and partnered with him, Peter became a different person. See, you want to draw close to Jesus Christ. You want to be an effective you know, testimony in this world. You could do it on your own and be how Peter was before. Peter made all kinds of mistakes. Assuming things. Reacting in fear of things. Trying to control his surroundings which is really what he did in the Garden of Gethsemane, I I don't think for a moment he figured that he could have taken care of all of them. He was trying to control his circumstances that were getting out of control. He was just realizing at that time that they were betrayed. Jesus had said the night before that that someone was going to betray him of those twelve, They didn't know who, which I find that interesting too. You you would think they'd have an idea. But again, there's a difference when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Because being filled with the Holy Spirit also comes with these gifts that Jesus promises to those who seek him. And we've talked about this before. We won't get into this today. But 1 Corinthians 12 talks about those gifts. See, there's a power that comes with this filling of the Holy Spirit. And and what, what Peter was recognizing here, and I would believe that these people watching him were recognizing the same thing. Because here's this bumbling guy that denied his Savior. Now, not that they all knew all the things that he had done, but they recognized him as different different verse 37 now when they had heard this this crowd they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what should we do Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Peter was being prophetic there and didn't even know it. See, up to this point, to receive the coming Messiah, you had to believe through Judaism. You had to convert to Judaism. And and Peter, again, not even knowing it at this point, is prophesying that all, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, Verse 40, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now I want to point something out here, because I find it to be extraordinary. We talked about it, can't remember, a few weeks ago. We talk, talked about the fact that there is a gifting of the Holy Spirit that comes twice in a believer's life. You are given the Holy Spirit, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is what Peter's talking about here. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, Ephesians 1 13 and 14 tells us that. That when we accept Him as Savior, He is, He seals our Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells with our Spirit and seals us to where our Spirit is covered. Our Spirit is protected. We cannot lose our salvation, our justification. Because we didn't do anything to earn it in the first place. When we asked for it, Jesus sent the stamp, and that's actually what the Greek there means, this authoritative stamp on our lives of the Holy Spirit. Okay, that is the first receiving of the Holy Spirit. That's not what happened at Pentecost. How do I know that? Because in John chapter 20, Jesus, when he was with his disciples during that 40-day period, as a matter of fact, the first day he saw his disciples, what did he do? He said, I breathe on you and I give you the Holy Spirit. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And he blew on them the Holy Spirit. Now, what happened in Acts chapter 2 did not happen in John chapter 20. This is two different receivings of the Holy Spirit. And why do I say this? I say this because it takes effort on your part to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ to be used in the way that he wants to use you. And bottom line, it's not just, I believe, come take me, I'm a puppet. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice if it were that way? But you know, there can't be any love that comes out of that jesus gave his life on the cross why he gave his life so he could have relationship with us not just so he can save us to be with him in heaven just so we can kind of be there what does he get out of it by giving his own life if all we give him is a belief in who he is i don't know that to me seems extremely unfair What does he get out of it? What does he want out of it? He wants relationship. He wants relationship with you. He wants you to build that relationship with him in such a way that he increases your faith. See, there comes a point in your relationship with Jesus Christ where you yearn for him, you long for him, and you you long for a deeper connection with him. That's what happened at Pentecost. See, these 120 people had a calling on their lives. And they weren't all just preachers. These were families. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The the disciples had families. These were families. But every one of them had a call on their life. Why? Because every one of them had the Holy Spirit fall upon them. But I want you to recognize when those 3,000 came to know the Lord, it doesn't say the same thing happened. It doesn't say 3,000 came to know the Lord and then all of a sudden they were acting drunk too. Right? Now, it doesn't say it didn't happen either. I'm not saying that it did or it didn't. What I'm trying to point out to you is the filling of the Holy Spirit comes for a very specific reason. And it's relationship. Not to make you something great in the kingdom. Jesus said you want to be great, be a servant. All he requires is your willingness and your love and your faith. He doesn't require you to have some degree in this or degree in that. And and, and I'm not saying that's bad. Please don't, don't take my words and say that's bad. Because God has a place for every one of us. But that place is to include relationship. We talked at the beginning about, where's the church in the world? See, we're not all called to be preachers. But we are all called to preach. You're supposed to share your testimony with Jesus Christ. But he places you in places that will become effective for him. See, that's where the bride's got it so wrong. It's because we, we kind of compartmentalize our church with our work or our church with our friends. And instead of getting, we come to church and get our church on here, right? But then we're a good person during the week. But see, it doesn't infiltrate back. That's why the bride has no voice. You ever wonder why the world doesn't look up to us? They don't. I mean, just in case you didn't know, they don't. They don't want to be us. They look at us and and they see this dualism. They see this fakeness. and, And the sad thing is, Satan has had a strategy of really making that known. He's been really good at it. You know, we see all the time the these preachers or whatever that'll say one thing and then oh, all of a sudden it's found out that they, they have this alternate life, right? They, they, they're, they're out doing what they say they shouldn't do. Or, or this one, you know, talking about how, well, everybody's supposed to be wealthy, so I'm going to get wealthy by embezzling money. It's no wonder. It's no wonder the bride is not looked up on by the world. See, but that has to change. And it's going to change. We know in Revelation 3, 9, one day it will change. Before Jesus comes, the bride will be honored by the world. That's what it says. So that means that things have to change. That's what I believe God is doing. Because he changes those through, the, the, through developing relationships in us See in this room we've got all walks of life Right? We have business people, we have construction, we have teachers, right? We have everything even in this room As you develop relationship with Jesus Christ and let his love pour through you, you're going to affect where you are. It doesn't matter if you're the lowest person on the totem pole. I've said it before. That's what I love about about Todd White's testimony. He gets in there and and he's just sweeping floors and does it as quick as he can so in between he could just share with people, talk with people. Are we hungry? Going back to what I said before, are you hungry for that? Are you hungry for God to use you in a way you've never been used before? Are you hungry to come together as the bride to make a difference that the world can actually see a difference? See what happened in Charlottesville. What they need is Jesus Christ. What they need is to see His love. What people need is to see that they don't have to be defensive because someone may not love them. You know, that's where the root of that is, right? It all stems from love. I'm going to act this way because I'm afraid I will not receive love back. That's a scary thing. And so many people today grow up without love, which makes it even harder to then... Give it out. But see, Jesus hasn't answered all that. Because when you fall in love with Him and you develop relationship with Him, He said, you don't have to give it out. I will. He said, if you let me work in your life, He will do the work of giving out that love. I've shared it before, but... But the, the example of a 55-gallon drum, right? If you take a, a hose and turn the water on and put it in the drum, and that's the, that water represents the love of Jesus Christ, you can't tell from the outside what's going on in there. Not at first. It could be filling up. You don't see any difference in the drum. doesn't change color. doesn't change anything. I mean, it might be a little harder to move, <laughs> You don't know what's going on until it's full. And then when it's full, it starts bubbling over and pouring out. And then the way Jesus works, as as you do that, he turns that faucet on more and more and more and more. And the point is never to turn that faucet off. Because the more you receive the love of Jesus Christ in relationship with him, the more it's going to fill up and then pour out. That's what this world needs. That's what this community needs. That's what the community where you live needs. The community of people where you work, that's what they need. They need to see Jesus. They don't need to see us. They don't need to see that we got it all together because we can learn how to live by some principles in the Word of God and, and, and it works. It works. Which, by the way, it does. And we think that, well, if they see that, then that's going to show Christ. But no, what shows Christ, what shows his character is his love. And his love is what he wants to permeate through every one of you. And that's what he wants to do in readying his bride. So as we go through this, Again, recognize, recognize what's going on here. They were so hungry for the Lord. He had just left, and he said, "I'm, I'm going to send a replacement that trust me, you're, you want me to leave because I'm going to send this Holy Spirit that's going to be a replacement for my physical presence, and you're going to be overwhelmed." And so they were hungry. They were hungry, they waited and they worshiped and they prayed and they were hungry for the Lord. That was relationship. And the Lord came, the Holy Spirit came and wow, wow what he did. Do you believe that he's going to do that? Do you have expectation that he's going to do that here with us? He's told us he is. I could tell you all day of what the Lord has prophesied, but do you believe it? Are you hungry for him? Are you hungry for his presence? Are you hungry for his filling? Not so you can receive something amazing from it, but because then you can be the vessel that Peter was. I mean, the whole point wasn't to change Peter's life. It was through changing Peter's life that these 3,000 lives were changed. God has placed you among people, every one of you, where he wants your life to affect their lives. Are you hungry to let that happen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you and praise you, God. And I thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for what you are doing in our lives, what you're doing in this church, what you're doing in your bride, God. Lord, I pray that you reveal truth. Help us to examine each of us our own lives this morning. Where we're at in relationship with you. Not in relationship to what we understand as church. But in relationship to you. Reveal to us, Father, our true hunger. And Lord, I pray that you look at hearts this morning. You see the hunger that we have and the yearning that we have for you. The desire to grow in relationship with you. I thank you that you offer that relationship. Again, Lord, speak to us this morning. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: in um, it was interesting I was thinking about relationships and hunger and how powerful the strategy of the enemy is to come against people in the recognition of that you know like because I was thinking about the human parallel if you met somebody that basically says yeah I'm just not I just I'm just not hungry I just don't I don't ever eat I just don't ever eat first of all you probably wouldn't believe them you probably would mean that they probably don't very much at all. But if you, if you got to know them and saw that they really didn't, immediately you would know. Something's not right. I mean, that, that's an indication. If you absolutely never eat, well, that's a, called a disorder for one thing if it's an intentional thing. But if they don't want food, isn't that an indication that something's wrong? There's a sickness there. And yet, you know, we may not know a lot about the human body, but what we do know is that we were made to eat. We got to eat something. We have to have nutrition, we have to have something come into our bodies in order to function from the time babies, you know, babies need something inside uh, of their bodies from the time they're born. And yet we don't recognize that we were created for God, for his love, and for his relationship. So we have to make that correlation. See, we would recognize it humanly, we're sick, but we don't recognize it in the spiritual sense. And I encourage you to read Psalm 139, because, man, when you get what that's saying, you have to know that there's, see, an apathy, kind of an attitude of, eh, I'm good, you know, yeah, that's good, I mean, I do want it, you know, I mean, I go to church, and that's all good, and but, I'm, you know, I'm just good. That kind of self-satisfaction or apathy is, is a very sneaky demonic strategy that comes at us so that we, we lose even an awareness that we've lost our hunger. Same with relationships. Look at how many people are isolated. People actually think they have relationships now on Facebook. They think that's a relationship. That's a form of communication, but that is not a relationship. And it's a way, it's a strategy, it's a wonderful tool, but Satan uses it often to keep people isolated in their homes. And being able to put out just little bits and pieces of their lives and never really having an interaction with another human being that strengthens them, that builds the way it's biblically and the way God created us to be. So if, you, if you're thinking to yourself this morning, man, he talked about hunger, and I know some people said, yeah, I'm hungry, but I just, I don't know, I just not, I don't, I'm not feeling it. Ask God. Because you were created with a void Did you know that? You're created with a void that can only be filled by God. And uh, when you do a little check, it's called losing your passion. We're all passionate. And, And it's fun to get excited about what God offers. Just like it's fun to get excited about whatever. Maybe some of you have great plans for lunch and you're excited about that. You know the result. It just feels so good to have your favorite food. Well, you know what? It can feel so great to have God speak to you about something awesome, yeah, nice. um, whether in your secret place at home or in church. And, and when we awaken ourselves spiritually to that, it's just amazing how, um, how much God satisfies and fills us. But, but we've, we've turned that little switch off, and that's where we miss out on how powerful the Holy Spirit can, can uh, be in our lives. So um, so ask yourself this week, where's my passion? Where's my hunger level? am I just good and yeah I'm mean, gonna eat a little bit because you know I gotta I gotta make it through the day I gotta eat enough to function you know, so I don't get lightheaded. okay or are you you know realizing that hey I, I need I there's something missing you know I, I need my passion back and uh, God so wants to connect and bless that with that passion and acts is a really awesome uh, book and I hope you're digging a little deeper in between the messages um, I did want to give a reminder today